Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. Good morning. Find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. And let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You'll find that on page 1802 in that book rack Bible. We love to have the Bibles open. We love Scripture. It's the fourth Sunday of Lent. We've been going through a little series we're calling Renew. That's what Lent is about. It's renewal. Turning our Lenten practices into lifelong pursuits. Lent is a period of time where we prepare our hearts. We go into the desert a little bit. We say, God, what needs to change in my life? And a lot of people use Lent as a time to say no to some things, to sacrifice some things, to remember the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people during Lent sacrifice a food craving. And for 40 days, they go without something that they really like to eat. But we've suggested, why not pursue a lifelong passion for fasting and prayer? We've said that sometimes during Lent, 40 days, we give up a media obsession, and that's great. But why not pursue a lifelong journey of silent solitude and scripture reading, taking seasons to do that? Sometimes during Lent, we give up a simple pleasure for 40 days, and that's great. But why not turn that into a lifelong pursuit of humility and choosing to say yes to the Lord God? Today, we come to the fourth Sunday of Lent, and we want to talk about putting aside selfishness, and a lot of people do that during Lent, let other people go first, kind of practice a non-selfish lifestyle. Well, why not pursue a lifestyle of kindness and generosity that really mirrors the heart of God? Remember that during Lent, we've got Lenten readings and reflections on a daily basis. You can go to our website, and I hope you do that, and track along with the sermon that you read, uh, that you hear this morning. And then we also have a way to elevate prayer in our journey. We have a prayer wall out in the upper lobby area there right outside our prayer room. And you can place prayer requests in that wall. You can take them out of the wall and pray for them during the week and come back and stick them in the wall. And that wall is getting filled and I love to see that. And throughout the week, I love just snatching a few of those out of the wall, going up to my office and praying over those and coming back and putting them back in the wall. We've done that this morning already. It's been a wonderful experience. There's the left side where we can say, God, thank you for how you're answering prayer. Here's some praises. And if you notice all those that are filling up too, how beautiful that is. Lent is a time to remember what Christ has done for us. And there's no better place, I think, in all of Scripture, really, to zero in on what Christ has done for us as we come to this little, little place in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we read there in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, through, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Isn't that an amazing verse? Let's read it out loud together. Come on, read it with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is is the basis for where all generosity comes. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
This is the foundation work of our own hearts whereby we can become generous people. Now let's walk through this really briefly. First, notice the grace of our Lord Jesus is seen in giving up his riches. And we're not talking about money here. We're talking about his position in glory. He gave that up. Jesus willingly set aside his glory, leaving behind the riches of his glory for a season that he might join humanity in suffering and to become the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. What did that action do? It made us rich. The condition of our souls is impoverished, but Christ is the one who makes us rich. You see, before we come to know Christ, borrowing from the words of Jesus in Revelation 3.17, we are marked as those who are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But thankfully, through the passage we've read today, through his kindness and through his generosity, he has made us, according to Romans 8, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, we have been blessed with the heaven, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We are chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. On top of all that, we are predestined, we are called, we are justified, we are glorified, according to Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 30. And in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I would say that we have gone from being poor to rich through Christ. A beautiful expression from God's word. Jesus' sacrificial life opens the door for you and me to experience the life that we've always needed and could never have apart from him. And in fact, what that does, what that transaction does in our lives when we come to him through faith we find back just a couple of chapters earlier, if you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, go back to chapter 5 and look at verse 15 where Paul writes there again. He says, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you see that little part about no longer living for themselves? The whole character of our lives ought to be to live now for the one who died for us and gave his life for us. So there's no option. We don't go through life saying, well, I, I wonder what I should do with my life. Paul says, if we've given him our lives, his love compels us so that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised again. Is that how you're living today? Is that how I'm living today? Are we living with the mindset of, Lord, no longer Larry calling the shots, no longer me calling the shots of my life, but Lord, you calling the shots. What is it that you want for my life? And if that's what's happened in our lives today, then we're on to a great pursuit. And the pursuit is to live a life of kindness and generosity. Because through Christ, we have all been made rich. I want to talk about this idea of pursuing a life of kindness and generosity from three perspectives today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and so just hang on to your hats and let's go. Three really important views or perspectives of pursuing a life of kindness and generosity. First of all, that pursuit, I would suggest to you, is a worthy pursuit. Write that word down, worthy. It's a worthy pursuit. Why is it a worthy pursuit? 
It's a worthy pursuit because God expects this of us. He calls us to this. And there are implications to what it means to live a life that is generous and kind. You know, God's covenant people in the Old Testament were told, they were reminded in Leviticus and other places, when an alien lives with you in the land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In that same chapter, it says, do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Now, we don't use the word alien very much, but the idea is the outsider, the person that's not in, not in your family, doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, might be a different color, might be a different socioeconomic background, might think politically different than you. And God tells us in this passage, his covenant people should be marked with not just saying this is our stuff, we want to share and we want to support others, we want to help others. We should be giving to the poor. We should be helping others that need our help. And of course, we don't live in agrarian society. Most of us are not growing crops to leave for the poor to come by. So we have to think of other ways of doing that. We have to think of ways uh, to Share our resources with the poor. We do that here at Neighborhood Church through our benevolent fund. And we give to a benevolent fund, which then goes out. We support community outreaches. We support soup kitchens. We support programs that help people off, out of drugs and alcohol uh, we, to give people a second chance. We have our own cross streets ministry. Every Saturday we feed. Every Sunday we feed. We shower people. We give them haircuts. We, we help them get a life back in, in little ways in, and yet very significant ways. Are you a part of that? Is that a part of your life? Because God says as his covenant people, we should treat others like we would want our own lives to be treated. Now the benefits of this is beautiful. As I read the scripture, I see there are benefits. A couple places, Psalm 112.5. Let's read this out loud. I love this. Psalm 112.5 says, good will come to him. Ready? Come on, let's read. Here we go. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. This goes on again in Proverbs 11.25. Let's read that one too. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then one more, Proverbs 22.9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. That's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, God says when you give, you'll be given. When you refresh others, you'll be refreshed. And for any of us that have had the beautiful privilege of just being a part of some of the ministries that I just described, whether you're a volunteer where you go once a month or you do something like that, or maybe it's a weekly event for you, or maybe you just know your resources are kind of sliding that way to give some help, to give some lift to some people. It's a beautiful thing. You just realize, wow, the Lord blesses our hearts. There's more of a blessing in the giving portion, really, than in, even in the receiving portion. And yet the receiving portion is so important. Now there's a warning to this. And if you have your Bibles, you can quickly go back over to Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 6. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we said the, that the three acts of righteousness in the life and the mind of a Jew was prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. And Jesus said, here's the warning. He said, be careful 
not to do your acts of righteousness, this is Matthew 6, 1, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says specifically that those three acts of righteousness, which often are the themes of Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, which is giving to the poor, being generous. Those are three common themes of Lent for many Christ followers. And Jesus said the careful thing, the, the warning here is to, to not do these things in order to be noticed by people. And go on in verse 2, so that when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Jesus said, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. What does that mean? That means that our giving to the needy should be so regular and so spontaneous that it's like we don't even remember when we did it last. So many of us, when we think about giving to the needy, we can go to the date and time because it's so infrequent. Maybe it's never. And one time we go do a little something and we're just like, that's it. And Jesus said it should be so regular, so spontaneous, so, in a sense, impulsive that you can't even remember the last time you did it. Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Boop, 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 boop. And that's what Jesus said ought to be. That's the warning, that, that, that we're not doing this for show. We're not doing this to be noticed by people. We're doing this because our hearts are moved by the way God has made us rich in him. So hopefully that will be a little bit of, a, of an encouragement uh, to us. And, and, and so as we look at this, uh, we can see the beauty of how God wants us to be changed. Now, there's a second thing that I wanted to point out. Not only is it a worthy pursuit because God expects this of us, but it's a worthy pursuit because it models the character and nature of God. Just write that down. It, it models who God really is. And a couple of things I'll just say rather quickly here. One, God's gener- generosity extends to everyone. We, we forget that, you know, uh, we, we live in a world that we think God's generosity is only to those who deserve it. And it's a, it's a real problem with the haves of this world. They think that the reason why they're the haves is because they deserve it. Uh, Matthew 5.45, Jesus said he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. It's a reminder to us that God in his blessings is indiscriminate. Isn't that beautiful? It, it falls where it falls. And God doesn't say, well, you deserve it, so I'm going to bless you, and you don't deserve it, so I'm not going to bless you. God says, if I choose to bless, it just, it falls everywhere. And that's, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. In fact, if you're writing it down, God's generosity is a part of his very nature. This is the way God is. He doesn't have to choose to be generous. He is generous. This is the God that we serve. The parable of Matthew 20 is a beautiful little story. Jesus uses this story to talk about God's generosity. Remember, there's this landowner, and I'm not going to read through the whole parable, but you know the parable. It's the landowner who goes out early in the morning, 
And he looks for workers to work in his vineyard. And he finds some guys early in the morning. He says, will you work a day's wage? They say, yes, so go to work. He goes out at the third hour and he finds some people not working. Would you like to work for a day's wage? Yes, so he sends them to work. Goes out at the sixth hour. Would you like to work? Yes, we'd like to work for a day's wage. They go work for a day's wage. He goes out the ninth hour. Are you following the picture here? There's still people not working. Boy, there's people not working all over the place in this story. And he finds people not working. Would you like to work for a day's wage? Yes, he sends them to work. He goes out at the 11th hour. It's a 12-hour shift. He starts at 6 in the morning, let's just say. He goes to 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock. Comes to uh, 5 o'clock, and he still sees some people not working. He says, would you like to work for a day's wage? They said, we'd love to. He sends them to work. Then he calls his, his foreman together. He says, get everybody together and pay them their day's wage. And the people that come first are the people that worked for one hour. And they got the day's wage. They got the denarius. And so the people that had worked all day are thinking, all right, we get a bonus. And they get paid the same thing. And you remember what the landowner says? He says, this is a beautiful picture. He says, are you envious because I am generous? I can be generous. This is, the, this is a picture of how God treats us. You know, last week I told a story about Bob in the hospital, you know, and he did. He passed Sunday morning. When we were preaching last week, he was already in glory. Did his service yesterday for his family. Here's a guy that four days before he left this earth, he made his peace with God. And you know what? Great is his reward. Now some of us go, whoa, 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 whoa. I've been a Christian like for 50 years. Are you envious because God is generous? God loves to dole his blessings. And when, whether you're the thief on the cross that in the last moment of your life, in the last breath of your life, you receive Christ, or whether you receive Christ as a little boy and you, or a little girl and you walk through your life trusting the Lord and fumbling and getting up and going through the trials and the problems and yet by the persevering work of the Spirit of God, he brings you to the end. Praise God, you belong to him. Great is your reward too. And we can just rejoice. We should rejoice in all that. This is God's character. A lot of religious people never learn generosity because they fail to see the heart and the nature of God. They view God like they view themselves, blessing only those whom they think deserve it. What is born out of that? Entitlement, merit. We get what we deserve. No. God's grace falls on the undeserving, the castaway, the unlikely person. And this is the beauty of our gospel. So God expects this of us, and God is generous too. That's his character. But let's be honest. This is, this is a worthy pursuit, but it's also a challenging pursuit. Just write that down. It's a, uh, the lifestyle of kindness and generosity is a challenging pursuit. Let's be honest with ourselves. The reason why we're not more generous is because it's a challenge. And can I suggest to you a couple challenges that are involved in it? Number one, and this is the biggest one, I think, we're prone to selfishness. This is what our default is. We're prone to selfishness and we need the sanctifying work of the Spirit to transform us into generous people. I came across this this week. I thought it was cute. Have you heard of the property laws according to a toddler? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. 
If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's still mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. Now, I look at that and I go, that's human nature. You see it in a toddler because they just haven't learned to be sophisticated enough to root it out of other people's hands their own way. This is what we've all become. Remember what we read a moment ago? He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Question, how much do we really, really, really live for others rather than for ourselves? It's a rare thing. I I remember the little story. I love this little story too. Two brothers waiting for pancakes, arguing who's going to get the first one. The mom says, ah, it's a little moral lesson here. She says, hey, kids, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. And the older brother said to his younger brother, good, you be Jesus. (laughs) You know, we are all like the big brother. In fact, there are, this is what makes it tough for us. We're not only selfish, but we also interact with people who have come at their issues with the mentality of, look, you be Jesus. They build their whole life around, I've got a need and you've got to fill it because you should be Jesus. I meet people all the time that have that mentality. Somehow it's my responsibility or it's our responsibility and they build their whole life around that. That's a that's a person who's manipulating a system. Now, does God love that person? Does God want to have a, an impact on that person's life? Absolutely. But it's hard. It makes it sticky. We're selfish, and we're dealing with selfish people. And we need the sanctifying work of the Spirit, don't we? I mean, the, the sanctifying work of the Spirit is over, overturning, always overturning or wanting to overturn our flesh, which grabs for things, wants to hold on to things like toddlers do. So we're prone to being selfish and we need God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit to transform our lives. There's a second reason why this is hard and that is because of the dangerous allure of money and possessions. I mean, let's face it, we're all tempted with stuff. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Let me just read it. You can follow along. It's on the screen. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all, evil, of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. Well, the Bible's telling us here that money isn't the root of evil, but the love for money. It's the love of stuff, the love of wanting more for me. And all of us fight that. We've all got this thing in our lives that kind of goes after it. The allure of money and possessions can be uh, can result in foolishness, self-destruction, or both. 
That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he tells the parable there in Luke 12 about this guy that just wants to build more bigger barns. You know, he, he gets the windfall, and so what does he do? Instead of sharing, he builds bigger storehouses for himself. And one day, boom, he has a heart attack and he's gone. And he leaves it all behind. Uh, our culture's love affair with materialism and wealth, every time we turn around, we're getting a message that we're not complete unless we have the latest this or the latest that, electronics, the newest car, the most modern conveniences we can muster. It feels like if we don't have these things, we simply can't live. Really. I mean, I'm really, I'm really blessed by a lot of the younger generation, and I hope it's not fad, but I, I, I get messages from our younger generation a lot that says, you know, we want to live more simply. We don't want to go just after the American dream. It's not all about just having more stuff. And some of them are making great strides to do that, pooling their resources, doing things for the poor, uh, some of our younger generation really gets this down, and, but not in all cases. And in some cases, that in itself becomes sort of faddish. It's not, it's not really of the heart, and it's not sustainable or lasting. But I think we should do whatever we can to support economic justice and equality. Big challenges, though. These are huge. No easy answers. So we see this priority, we see that kindness and generosity is a worthy pursuit. We see it's a problem because of our own selfishness, the allure of money possessions and a culture that is just rife with you need this and you need that otherwise you don't live. Which brings us down to really how this all should work out practically in our lives. I, I would say that the lifestyle of kindness and generosity is a practical pursuit. I want to bring this down to earth right now and just say, okay, we know it's important, the priority. We know there's a problem with it. But let's, let's just dissect it for a minute from the idea of a practical pursuit. And to do that, uh, we're going to look at a couple things. Um, let me just pass the one. We're going to camp out on the second one a little bit longer. Um, a lifestyle of ki- uh, kindness and generosity follows our commitment to loving God. That's where, it, that's where it starts. It's about loving God. And if we love God then everything is no longer mine, it's, it's his. And that's where it needs to start. And remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, you know, what must I do you know, to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commands. I've kept all the commands, oh great. What's the commands? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all the commands. Jesus said, good, why don't you sell everything you have, go give, give that to the poor, and then come follow me. Jesus knew the idol in this young man's life. I mean, he had so justified himself that he could actually live with this consumer mentality and still say that he loved God with all his heart. And Jesus was testing that. He was saying, no, you don't. If you love God with all your heart, you don't live with a, this is mine and God has some of this and I have all this over here. No, it's everything belongs to him. And while God is not calling us to give everything we have to the poor, if the idol of our life is money and possessions, that's where it starts. And the way it starts then is to release your hands, open your hands and say, what does God want me to do? What, what does God want me to give? It's disingenuous to say we have kept the commands and, and we harbor or we keep things for ourselves. And so there's things that we can do. We can, we can buy, sell, give away, we can save, we can share. Uh, these are all things that God may tell us to do with our stuff. Did you hear that? 
save, buy, share, give away, are all things we can do with our stuff, whatever God tells us to do. And the point is, do what he tells us to do. But there's another thing here that I think is, is where the rubber really meets the road. And, and, and just as we come down now, we're going to land the plane here. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke, please. Luke chapter 10. It's a familiar story, so it won't take long to go through it. Because you might be sitting here saying today, okay, I know it's a priority. I know there's a problem. How do I make this practical in my life? And, and I think there's some really beautiful practical things that we learn from this parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses, well, we're going to key in on verses 30 through 35. But can I remind all of us that the reason the parable was told, the reason the parable was told was for Jesus to jog a person out of a mindset that loving my neighbor means loving everybody without loving someone in particular. And Jesus says your neighbor is actually the one that you would rather not love. That for whatever reason you are saying, I don't think so. And that's why Jesus told this parable. However, within this parable, I see some beautiful application of how to practically pursue a life of kindness and generosity. And I would like to suggest these really quickly to you. Let's read the text and then we'll just walk through it. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, okay, and here's the, this is the hook of the story. As soon as the Jewish person heard this word, he went, ooh, he recoiled. When the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. And then Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert of the law said, and he couldn't even say the word Samaritan, he said, the man, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So the way we should treat people, especially the people that we don't like, this is the way we should treat them. And when I see the Samaritan, this is, a be- this is so practical. Here we go. How are you going to be... Practical about being kind and generous. Number one, you've got to see needs. Just write down the word seen or see. The Samaritan saw the man that was in need. Let me just ask you a question. Do you, do you see people in need? I think there's a lot of people that are invisible to us. They're invisible. Do you notice people with needs? They might be a homeless person. They might be a person emotionally troubled. They might be someone who just needs a friend. Do you see people? Or are you always on your mission to where you just can't see anyone around you? I like the fact that it says in the text, when the Samaritan came along, he saw him. He saw him. Number two, he sympathized. Sympathizing. The Samaritan took pity on the man in need. This means he sympathized. He felt something. He was moved. 
For this to happen in our hearts, we need to be in tune with the Spirit of God. We need God's heart. Otherwise, when we see, we don't feel. And we need to feel. Feelings aren't the, the only thing. But you'll never be involved with anything that you don't have some feeling for. And God, break our hearts for the needs that are around us. He saw, he sympathized, he also stopped. Very practical. The Samaritans stopped. And the other two guys, which by the way, one was a priest, one was a Levite, they were church people. And they just kept right on going. This guy stopped. The Samaritan stopped. He was on his way somewhere, but he chose to go over and get involved. Stopping only happens when we see and when we sympathize. Ask God to give you the courage to stop. When was the last time you stopped? Fourthly, he served. The Samaritan served the wounded man. It says that he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine on them. Have you ever helped anybody that was injured physically or emotionally? It usually takes you getting down to their level. It usually means crouching, kneeling, touching, getting close. It probably means getting a little dirty, a little soiled. Service is what Jesus does for us. He takes the towel, he wraps it around his waist, and he kneels to serve. We are servers. He not only saw, sympathized, stopped, served, but he also stewarded. I'm amazed in the story that he puts the man on his own donkey, he takes him to an inn and takes care of him, and then it says the next day. I, as I was looking at this passage, it struck me, he spent the night there with this guy. I mean, wow. He not only goes out of his way, but he, he uses his resource. He uses his his mode of transportation. He walks himself so this person can get to this inn. He, he puts him in the inn and he actually stays there overnight. And then lastly, just a practical thing, he spends. He actually expends his own money. Obviously, this cost him. It cost him something. And he even promises when he returns, he'll pay the extra expense. All of this, by the way, as again, as a reminder, is heaping conviction on this Jewish person trying to justify himself that he can love everyone without loving anyone in particularly. And Jesus says, well, actually, you've got to love in particularly, in particularly, or particularly, excuse me. You have to love the person that seems unlovable. Who is it in your mind today that you think, I can't love that person anymore? What they did to me, if you knew what they did to me, Jesus, oh, there's your neighbor. And how do you love them? By seeing, sympathizing, stopping, serving, stewarding, and yes, even spending. This isn't rocket science. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John three sixteen through 18. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Read this, verse 18, with me, would you? Read it with me. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So here's, here's our Lenten lifelong pursuit. Being generous with our gratitude, 
with our time, with our resources, with our forgiveness, with our listening, with our helping. We can do acts of kindness as a way to show generosity, make someone a meal, bake cookies, give them to a neighbor, do something kind to someone, hold a door open, invite someone you can bless into some good food or fellowship. Smile at somebody. Try that. I mean, some of us, if we just started the process of instead of waiting for someone to smile at you, smile at them. Pray for someone in need. Offer spiritual help to someone in your path. Every day, there are countless opportunities to show kindness and to be generous. And why should we do it? Because it is the heart and nature of God. And it always follows loving him and loving others. Well, that ought to get us through the next week with enough challenges, don't you think? And great opportunities. Now this morning, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, this is a moment for you. Let's go to the Lord right now. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, you are amazing. You have been so generous to us. And we would admit, Lord, we are conflicted at times because of our own selfishness and because of the world we live in, so selfish, making demands. How do we navigate all this, Lord? We can't. But only through your Holy Spirit, guiding us, transforming us, and making us more into your image, may we have the impact that is possible. So Lord, this is our prayer. Make us kind and generous people. For your renown, for your glory, and that someone might see the gospel of grace. And if that's you, my friend, today, if you've been a recipient of kindness and generosity, and all of a sudden today it just makes sense to you, oh, this was God in my life. This was God getting my attention. You can believe that God has used those means to point you to his son, Jesus, who is the Christ, who died and rose again, who paid the penalty for your sins. And today, no matter who you are or where you've been, you can reach out and believe in faith that Jesus did this for you, and you can become his follower, his child, his heir today. And maybe it's the third hour of your life or the twelfth hour or the ninth hour or the eleventh hour. But you can be his forever. Why don't right where you sit, you can open your heart and trust in Christ. Believe in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Now, Lord, do your work in this place. And draw us close to you, we ask. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.